All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode fifty-five. This is the info. Jason Lingren is with me, and we're going to talk dinosaurs today. Um, what's in a word? What's in a date? What's in all the things we use all the time and never think about? Well, I would assert that there's a lot in a word and a lot in a date. Um, let's take the word Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx is a little supposed dinosaur that was the missing link that showed, look, dinosaurs have feathers. They did. They turned into birds. T-Rex is now a chicken. Um, National Geographic covered it, and it was shown to be a fraud. As a matter of fact, I think National Geographic had to do a retraction at some point, but that's not really common knowledge, and there are probably still tons of people out there who think Archaeopteryx is a real demonstration that these supposed dinosaurs had feathers at some point and became birds. T-Rex is in fact a chicken now. We eat him for dinner. That sets aside that at one point T-Rex was filling our tanks because it was contributing to the fossil fuel, which is an old idea which was thrown by the wayside, but I was taught it in school. So what's in a word? Well, take the word archaeopteryx. The suffix in that word is tricks, and that's what it was. It was a trick, as is the whole idea of dinosaurs. So many people will be upset by this because they've been told their whole life and shown movies and shown pictures and shown textbooks and taught in school that dinosaurs existed. Yet, if you take the time to challenge dinosaurs, you will quickly find that they were invented in 1842, in or around 1842, as the Darwin evolution idea was about to come to light. And it was put forward by a knight of the royal court of Britain, who also was the superintendent or some such of the Natural History Museum, so placed well so that he could further the dinosaur nonsense. He also invented dinosaurs years before any bone, tooth, fragment, or any other supposed part of an ancient dinosaur had ever been found. You know, I've covered in episodes how in our culture, we teach our kids to believe in fantasy, things like Santa Claus, Easter Bunny. Um, then they get old enough, they understand they've been lied to, then they get older, they have kids, and they start the cycle all over again. Um, dinosaurs is no different, except the problem here is that most people that believe in dinosaurs are adults. I say so often, belief is the enemy of knowing. And people ask me what that means. Well, case in point, dinosaurs. If you think dinosaurs are real, why do you think they're real? Is it because you have chosen to believe in them and never challenged or investigated how we got the notion, the mental image of dinosaurs? And I'm here to tell you, it was invented in the 1800s by people associated with the royal court. It was mixed into the idea of evolution and Darwinism, probably. And you can track it forward to the point where you understand no dinosaur skull has ever been seen by a person who is not invested in the idea of dinosaurs. No complete dinosaur skeleton has ever been discovered. So what it comes down to is if this show where I'm flat out sta stating that dinosaurs never existed ever in this world and that upsets you, it's because you're choosing to believe in it. Because if you examine what we've been handed, you will quickly understand it's a fantasy-based reality. Anyhow, this is a good episode. Let's jump in with Jason for episode 55 on the Dinosaur Hoax. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This is episode uh, 55. Uh, Jason and I are going to cover a topic that's probably going to make a lot of people's heads spin. But uh, personally, I make no apology. I don't know where Jason stands. Uh, so many things in this world so many things in this world. We can track back to sci-fi writers. We can track back to when they came into existence by date, or at least the date that we are handed to accept these things. Uh, and I would ask everyone, what is in a name? What is in a date? What is in an idea? Well, a hell of a lot. Matter of fact, everything. It has been said the devils are in the details and dinosaurs are no different, man. The devil is in the details. Um, if I was to tell you that dinosaurs never existed, I imagine about 80% of the people, at least listening to me right now, probably just rolled their eyes and went somewhere else. But guess what? Dinosaurs never existed. 
if you can hold on long enough to hear some of the things we're going to cover um, and have an open enough mind to understand that there is a difference between just choosing to believe in a thing and challenging a thing, uh, you will find out very quickly that there is a there there. Anyhow, Jason, welcome, man. Hello again, Crow. And this is going to be another very interesting topic, I think. Yeah, man. I mean, what's the old saying? What a wicked web we weave when we practice to deceive. There's almost no portion of our cultural existence and even our scholastic existence that has not been tampered with by people who had a lot of money or a lot of power back in the day, whatever that day may have been. Um, I'm very suspicious of history, but nonetheless, we often run a timeline here because this is the history we're handed. And so often in so many of these nonsense things that we have all grown up believing in, like Santa Claus, uh, we find these other things like dinosaurs that I mean, it's programmed into us from from the very beginning. Think about think of the number of like Disney esque movies um, and rubber toys and other things that are getting children indoctrinated into the eye of into the idea of dinosaurs. It's crazy to think about. Even you know, going further with Jurassic Park and other things, um, these things are simply made up out of whole cloth. Um, I'm not sure where you stand on it, but we've got quite a list. You put together a great timeline. I did a lot of research, and I've been looking at this idea actually for a long time. So I'll just kick it straight over to you, Jason. Let's jump in before too many people pass out thinking that we're pulling their chain, um, and let's let's lay down some uh, some facts. All right, so first thing we're going to do is start off with a few definitions so that when we get into the later information, everyone is on the same field here. First of all, dinosaurs translates as terrible lizard or fearfully great reptile. I, I can actually add a little bit before you jump forward, Jason. I did some etymology work before on this, and if we just take Saurus, um, people might be surprised to understand that in the figurative sense of the word, it is a person or institution not adapting to change, and it's from 1952. But I dug deeper into the etymology. I used really old dictionaries that I have around the house and other things. Did you know that the element used in forming dinosaur names from the Latinized form of the Greek Soros lizard is a word of unknown origin? So I decided to quickly do the simple English gematria where it comes out to 101, which is, of course, 11. And I have covered so often in this show, in my view, when we see 11 encoded into a word many times or into an event, we are looking at the beginning of the casting of a spell. But there's even a little bit more before I kick it back to Jason. Apparently, there's only one place in the world you can legally hunt for dinosaurs if you're not someone official, and that is in or around Vernal, Utah, of all places. Um, and that's interesting to me. So often I cover the equinoxes and the solstices. The word vernal, which I didn't have to look up because I've done etymology and actually gone a lot further than etymology on that word so many times. The word vernal means spring. It relates directly to the spring equinox. So we're actually talking about the sun supposedly coming across the equator at the spring equinox. That's the, the globist you know, kind of definition of that word. But just to put it into context... Um, whenever we see anything that relates to equinoxes and solstices, we're looking at something encoding the sun. We should take a closer look at the place. This place in Utah actually issues licenses, and there's a catch. In the, you are licensed to do the following. These are the only four types of dinosaurs you're allowed to hunt in vernal equinox. A Tyrannosaurus rex, but you can only go for one adult male. I'm not kidding. The next one is a Diplodocus gigantus, and you can hunt one only of either sex, and it cannot weigh less than 5,000 pounds live weight. And I'm not even making this up, guys. The third one is a Stegosaurus. You can only get two of those, males of any size. The last one is a pterodactyl, or a pterodactyli, I guess, as it's written. I don't know if there's a difference or a distinction. Of those, you can only take four, but you can't take their young. And lastly, before I kick it back to Jason, would you be interested to understand, because a long, long time ago when I got going on this, I was reading that there was no dinosaur skull in existence that had ever been displayed anywhere. And this appears to be true. Um, well, I know it's true because I know dinosaurs don't exist. But 
apparently um, there have been no people as independent researchers or not associated with people who have a vested interest in the dinosaur idea have ever been allowed to examine a real dinosaur skull. So before I get too much further into this, I'm going to kick it back over to Jason and we're going to do some groundwork to tie this to the petroleum industry. Go ahead, Jason. And everything you just threw out there is just wow to begin with, you know? Yeah, I mean, the devil is truly in the details. When you begin to actually stop just saying I accept the stuff I've been told my whole life and, you know, set aside the dinosaurs you played with as a kid and the movies you've seen ad nauseum and challenge it, uh, you come up pretty quickly understanding that there's shenanigans afoot, man. Absolutely. And there's a few more definitions I want everyone to be familiar with before we take the terrible lizards through terrible history. So, abiotic oil. This is the theory that petroleum, coal, and natural gas are formed naturally under certain conditions in the Earth's crust and would essentially act as a lubricant for tectonic plates that make up the understructure of the continents. There are variations on the theory of how it is actually produced and where it may have come from, but the overall idea is that that was that it's natural and not produced from the decomposition of organisms. This has been proven as the likeliest source of petroleum as there have been old wells that have been tapped dry years later opening them back up and boom there's oil in it again and uh this is all comes from russian scientists uh, many decades ago and it just kind of proliferated out into the scientific community as i began to look in the abiotic oil uh, idea there were a lot of mainstream scientists trying to call this fraud i mean there was a lot of effort spent to call it fraud but anyhow um go ahead get right into fossil fuel and there's no getting away from it man it is named fossil fuel what does that bring to mind hint hint go ahead that's the notion that all petroleum, coal, and natural gas deposits are formed by natural processes such as anaerobic decomposition of buried dead organisms, containing energy originating from ancient photosynthesis. The age of the deceased organisms being used in this process would be in the millions of years old. This theory works very well for the oil industry as a whole because it keeps the notion of limited availability as a perpetual concept, and this notion is called peak oil. And this is something they've been scaring us with for decades, and I want to give a personal story here. When I was in third grade, which would have been in the early 80s, they showed us a film. And why they're showing kids this, I don't know. But it was showing just how much of coal, gas, and oil in general was left in the world and it was like some ridiculous amount. Like I remember at the time thinking, oh my goodness, when I'm when I'm an adult, it's going to be running out. And it was totally programming us to be scared of this concept. It, it was, I mean, let's just be blunt here. It was complete and utter bullshit. They were programming us. And I was in, in the advanced programs as well. So you can see that, that there's dirty pool afoot right from the get-go. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, b before I get into this, because I'm old enough to remember the 70s um, and this this notion of peak oil or always having the scarcity. This is done with so many products where you're convinced there's a scarcity and it allows the market to do many things with that product. But I'll give a shout out to the Jungle Surfer. Um, I don't follow a lot of people on YouTube. As a matter of fact, I don't use a lot of of social media or anything else online, to be honest. But he's one of the earliest guys I know that began to challenge the dinosaur idea. I'm sure there's others out there. I'm just not aware of them. Um, and he's also, having gone through the dino idea, uh, he's now beginning to challenge the idea of how gas is made. And I think this is a critical thing that really needs to be done. I mean, I can remember cartoons in school um, that were teaching cartoons where they're literally showing images of dinosaurs and other things that are supposedly becoming oil. But in 1973, for those of us that are old enough to remember, there was a gas crisis. At the time, I was driving across the country with my family to come to Rhode Island from San Diego. The lines were insane, blocks long often. Um, we are told the Arab petroleum exporting countries had, had proclaimed an oil embargo because of the United States support of Israel during the Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur, of course, falls near, I believe, the fall equinox. I hope I've got that right. Um, but anyhow, as we came across, it got to the point where we weren't sure we were going to be able to make it because they had the, the last digit on your license plate was either odd or even, and that would dictate what days you could get gas. 
Well, this whole thing relapsed again in 1979. They went back at it, causing an oil problem for the United States. And at that time, the, the Iranian revolution was cited. These are total manipulations of the market. And the reason we're getting into the gas idea at all, Jason and I, is because there's no separating the dinosaur idea from the, the oil and gas idea. And if, in fact, you're a person who can investigate and come to the conclusion that dinosaurs are a hoax, the next thing down the line for you is we got to take a look at gas and oil and how that's produced and where it comes from. Anyhow, back to you, Jason. All right. So getting into the history of, of the dinosaur phenomenon, before even a tooth or toenail was found and presented to the scientific community, the word dinosauria was coined by Sir Richard Owen of the Royal Society in 1842. So let's just take that apart right there. Somebody who is knighted by the aristocracy. Okay, let's do it. Um, there he is, man. Sir Richard Owen. We've done this before. Um, when you get a sir before your name, it basically means you're a servant. But you're not a servant to just any old place or person. You're a servant to the royal house that knighted you. So here we have Richard o Owen. Well, let me come at this a different way. Basically, dinosaurs were invented in 1842. There it is. That's going to be a shock for a lot of people to hear. But here we have this knighted man of the Royal Society coming up with a word to describe dinosaurs as we know them today without a shred of evidence of any kind that they ever existed. Back over to you, Jason. So Sir Richard Owen was the superintendent of the British Museum Natural History Department uh, when he put forth the notion of dinosauria. As of this point, nothing whatsoever had been found. It was completely 100% pure conjecture in theory. This was during the time when theories on evolution and natural selection were taking hold and the mechanics of which were being hotly debated in the scientific community. The Darwin book that everyone knows on the origin of species doesn't come out until 1859. So there are a lot of theories still floating around, and somehow... Sir Richard Owen got the notion of these giant lizards, even though they had they weren't even trying to tie anything together yet. And I don't think there's any separating, Jason, the ideas um, for what came out in the origin of species attributed to Darwin was absolutely in the halls of these royal scientific, you know, societies. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't think there's any separating the idea of dinosaurs from Darwin's theory of evolution. But I'll let you keep kicking through here before we beat that bull. Yeah, the idea here is that Owen was merely speculating on the, this possibility in the very long past. Now, Owen is one of many figures with direct ties to the upper echelon of the British aristocracy. Of course, if he's got a sir in his title, we already know this. He is said to have been a very driven individual with fits of anger and all that kind of thing, and he was even hated by some in the, uh, in, of his fellows in the scientific community. One of these people that apparently he didn't get along with was a person, a uh, biologist, named Thomas Henry Huxley. And yes, the Huxley family that we're familiar with. He was the grandfather of Aldous and Julian Huxley. So already we have the groundwork being laid of these people with, with the globalist elitist ties. Yeah, we need to get a, see, a cheesy little audio clip that goes dun, dun, dun. I mean, <laughs> how, how many people that have followed here have heard us talk about Huxley, the author of Brave New World? Brave New World, as I have said, along with Animal Farm and 1984, all have to do with what the controllers of this world are working towards. Um, Brave New World is basically the foundational blueprint, one of the oldest things we can point to. Um, there's even relations to the Tavistock Institute with all this, but to, to, make, a, to make this point even a little more narrow, um, Aldous Huxley, the writer of Brave New World, who is hovering around this, you know, new dinosaur idea, was a member of the Royal Society of Literature. I cannot tell you how many sci-fi writers we have attributed modern nonsense that we all believe in uh, as the creators of these modern nonsenses. So to put it in a nutshell before we move on, basically the idea of dinosaurs was invented in 1842. And... Well, I, I won't go there because I know it's in a, in a different uh, bullet point, Jason, so I'll wait before we go about the other societies that may have preceded 1842. But again, there's no separating it from the idea of Darwin, which I don't accept for a second. Um, some of the people who um, were around when Darwin was making the idea of um, evolution and these other things, and then DNA comes down the road, there's a lot of people who have gone on the record. One guy who was actually um, – 
directly related to the DNA idea, said there's no way that evolution accounts for this in, in, in random events. And in his words, he said something to the effect it would be akin to a hurricane going through a junkyard and producing a working jet airplane out the other side. Um, and when you begin to look at what we're being told here, um, you can't any logical person can't help but opt with a man who would say that because clearly the timeline the timelines are not long enough for what Darwin is putting forward and it's clear that however people got here is being covered up but I kind of tracked off a bit there I just want to make it abundantly clear this is something like the seventh or eighth episode where we have implicated Aldous Huxley the writer of Brave New World with the the beginnings of dinosaurs so back over to you and the interesting thing, looking at this research, in the 1800s, how life originated and changed on Earth over time was very hotly debated. It wasn't until much later that the general consensus settled on the Darwinian evolution. And now it's just been pounded into people so much, it's just the accepted notion. But a lot of brilliant people back then weren't satisfied. They they were trying to pick it apart. So... Yeah, well, the, just just to put a little finer point on the relationship between dinosaurs and modern media and Darwin, um, they are making a run. You know, what's that guy's name? Jack Horner. And for anyone who's not aware what the name Jack means, it's often relatable to Joker, which is why Jack Nicholson played the Joker in Batman. You can go do research on that. Black Jack. Um, anyhow, um, when we begin to look at the idea of what Darwin said, dinosaurs play into this because we're being told things now by people like Jack Horner that T-Rex became a chicken. Well, there's your mercurial idea, the rooster again, you know, the, the idea of transmuting the world mind into this lower childish mind that believes in fairy tales like Santa Claus and dinosaurs. Um, the Darwinian idea plays directly into what we've been told about dinosaurs because we're, we're told that these things crawled out of the slime and then we had dinosaurs and all these things go on and then this big rock or a comet from space destroys them all. But all the mammals lived and all these other things. So there really is no separating what we've been told about dinosaurs from the Darwinian nonsense in my view. Yep. The notion of dinosaurs' one-time existence on the Earth a very long time ago seems to have been put out into the mainstream public with absolutely no physical evidence whatsoever to back up any of these notions. So Owen suggests this in 1842, and over the next few years, it just kind of leaks out into the media and people discuss it. Now, many theories on evolution and transmutation are discussed in the halls of science for decades all through the 1800s as we have been discussing, and quite honestly, nothing has actually been 100% proven to this day. It's still called the theory of evolution. Right, exactly. It's like gravity. You know, at what point does gravity, you know, they claim they find gravity waves in the modern day. At what point does that quit being a theory? You know, um, it, it almost begs to be challenged just on those grounds alone. But here you're talking about evolution and transmutation. There is no getting away from the alchemical idea whenever the idea of transmutation comes into it. And again, consider how many movies have come out of Hollywood for children to buy into dinosaurs, all the toys, all the everything. Um in my view, this is transmuting the world mind into a fantasy-based reality. Um, back over to you, man. Yeah, and that's what we're going to see. The, re the reason why we're doing this the way we are, it's going to all come back to money, just like everything does. So anyway, although bones had been found earlier whose finders were uncertain as to their identity, the first actual claim of a dinosaur fossil is according to mainstream history anyway, attributed to a find in 1854 by Ferdinand Van Devere Hayden, who was an American geologist, and he was exploring the Upper Missouri River at the time. This discovery was in the form of some unidentified teeth. Hayden sent them to paleontologist Joseph Leedy, who was professor of anatomy at the University of Pennsylvania, and later would become a professor of natural history at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. Leedy would later go on to get numerous dinosaur fossils from Hayden, nearly all of which are said to be housed at the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. Now, my first problem with any of this, right off the bat, is how can you me even mentally reconstruct an entire creature just based off some teeth? Like, that just seems to be nice, a far stretch of the imagination. 
Right. And if I remember correctly, uh, the person who's in charge of the Smithsonian is the vice president of the United States. You can see the complicity. But one thing that jumped out at me right away was we find our first dinosaur fossil in 1854, which, of course, broken down into basic numerology and code 666 coming back to 18. 18 is often used to encode triple six. Um, there, there's no getting away from the things you're pointing out here and the complicity of universities, which we have covered you know, in our music shows, uh, what went on in the 60s and the 50s, the LSD period, all these things showing the complicity of universities, particularly the Cal, the Cal State system and California, um, who has everything to do with Big Bang and that storyline, and NASA. But it has been claimed um, that many of the fossils that were put together early on were, came from many types of bones. Now, these things are all nearly impossible to go back and substantiate in any way. But there was a recent, well, maybe a year ago or two years ago or something like that I was reading, and there was a claim being made that they'd found, I think it was either an Allosaurus or a T-Rex uh, skeleton, the most complete ever found to date or something like this. You hear that a lot. Um, and by the way, they've never found a complete dinosaur skeleton ever. Um, they were making the claim that the bones were so radioactive, they had to be painted with lead paint. Anyone can go to a search engine and look this up. I'm not making this stuff up. And it was playing into the idea on a few levels. Um, it's the fear porn of radiation. And we've already shown that nuclear weapons and nukes, as they've been explained, are a complete nonsense. So the idea that there are radioactive bones is complete nonsense. Um, but it further gives them excuses to lock bones away and to make casts of them and to make replicas of them, which, by the way, any museum you walk into in the world, uh, those are not real dinosaur bones that you're seeing there. They're replicas. Um, there, there are no real dinosaurs on display. Um, anyhow, uh, I'm kind of rambling, Jason. Back over to you. There's some extreme suspicion that in general – no ancient tribes, cultures, or anything whatsoever all over the world have ever mentioned anything ever relating to dinosaurs. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are going to scream and yell that, yeah, they have, but nothing solid. There's no solid evidence that and – I, and I looked. There are people finding bones and things that they didn't identify, but there's nothing that actually relates to this whole specific giant lizard thing. It wasn't until after the initial announcement in the, in the mid-1800s that dinosaur fossils were all of a sudden – being found all over the world, and frequently, and this is this is really weird in and of itself, there'd be large, de large deposits in one single location. And a lot of these locations are places that humans will, would have tromped all over for years and years and years. So the whole thing just seems really bizarre right there, very questionable. Yeah, as I went to, to go back and verify some of this and look at it, what I found was there were later narratives added in to try to back up this nonsense. One of them was that the ancient Greeks were finding dinosaur bones, and that's how they got the idea of Cyclops and other nonsense like this, which is complete mythical hearsay that can never be substantiated in any way. But then there were a whole group of people in some chat rooms trying to make the claim that, of course, this is where the idea of dragons came from. And again, um, dragons never existed in this world. So you're using a myth to try to substantiate a myth, and it's all hearsay anyhow, because there's no documentation that this was ever true. It's just people in the modern internet trying to bolster ideas, as far as I can tell. I would also suggest that perhaps it's the other way around, that dragons gave them the idea for dinosaurs. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, early on, you see these guys, and, and it's funny, too, as you see the first supposed kind of dino skeletons being put together, um, it's later claimed that not only were the bones from every which place and not from the same species of dinosaur, they were put together wrong, and the idea of what a dinosaur even is supposed to be begins to morph over time. Um, it's the same old song and dance that we cover so often here. It, it is, and since Lady was given the teeth in 1854, it took a few years for them to, to kind of postulate the whole dinosaur thing. So I only wonder what was going on in the background that they were discussing and, and what they wanted to actually do and come up with. So there's no evidence for anything, but obviously these higher education people who lorded over the rest of the, uh, the dirty populace, you know, they all colluded for the most part, and uh, a lot of them fought with each other, and it, and it reminds me a lot of what we hear about even the elite families today, that they, they'll fight with each other, but they'll agree on bigger points, and I wonder if these sort, this sort of thing was going on in the mid-1800s. 
Right. Well, I can think of three big points right out of the gate. First of all, it's fear porn. There were these giant, monstrous, powerful beasts that were killed off. Whack. It could happen to you, too. There's your total extermination fear porn. Um, the other idea, of course, in play here is they're obscuring a real history, aren't they? I have said so often that to me it appears that somewhere around the dark Middle Ages there, um, the modern history began to be rewritten and whatever came before was being covered up. Well, dinosaurs placed into this in spades. And lastly, it's the alchemical idea of transmuting the world mind into a bunch of adults that believe in Santa Claus, bringing a, an, um, the majority of a world population to believe in fantasies. And again, you know, if you're a person listening to this and you're getting upset because we're telling you that dinosaurs are a myth, maybe it's time that you set aside what you have chosen to believe in, set aside what you have been told your entire life. And I know you have because I was when I was a kid. I was so big into dinosaurs. I can't even tell you. I had posters on my walls. I knew their names, all this when I was a kid. But if you go look at the things we're pointing out here, you will find that there is no foundation at all. But there you go, man. Back over to you, Jason. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was at with it. I love dinosaurs. I knew a whole bunch of them. I still did. I still remember a lot of it now. And, you know, the, a lot of people are going to scream and yell, I know dinosaurs are real. I saw them in the museum. It's like, no, actually, you didn't. Nope. What you saw minimally is a replica of original bones. That does not necessarily mean that it's a replica of the creature they're they're showing you. But you have never seen real dinosaur bones. And I just, not too long ago, I took my daughter to uh, the museum in, in New York and saw tons and tons and tons and tons of them. And now with this information in my mind, I'm looking back and thinking, wow, all I saw was a whole bunch of models. And that's right. It. Right. And we will get to the point that is one of the main purveyors of these fake dinosaur bones. But there are some very persuasive arguments, and I just didn't have time to try to find the roots of them, where it's being claimed and demonstrated at some level that things like whale bones, elephant bones, ostrich bones, all these other type of hippo bones and, you know, alligator, crocodile bones, all these other bones were being brought into play. When we get into the bone wars here, which you will in a minute, some of this was going on. But um, at the end of the day, you've got to realize that the claim there is real dinosaur bones is made by the scientific community or the paleontological community. The problem here is, is that they're all in a vault somewhere and nobody but nobody can go examine them apparently. Um, and there has never been a dinosaur skull as far as you can tell. As a matter of fact, one of the first things I did is went to a search engine and put in dinosaur skull. This was almost two years ago um, when I came across someone claiming that there had never been a real dinosaur skull found. Um, and as I began to look through the search engine, what I found was replica after replica after replica. Anyone can do these things. But anyhow, let's let's get into the bone wars here, Jason. Yep, the Bone Wars, also known as the Great Dinosaur Rush. This refers to a period of intense fossil speculation and discovery, I'll put that in quotes, during what Mark Twain sarcastically called the Gilded Age in America, this being from approximately 1877 to 1892. And there are two key players that uh, were, were very prominent and in lots of newspapers, and there was tons and tons and tons of stuff about these guys at the time. Number one would be Edward Drinker Cope. He was an American paleontologist and comparative anatomist. He was born to a wealthy Quaker family in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he is said to have been a child prodigy very interested in science. He wrote his first scientific paper at the age of 19 and went on to do his own kind of research involving lots of travel with very little official scientific training. Using his influence he is said to have had in Washington, in the 1870s, Cope was able to procure a non-paid position on the U.S. Geological Survey under none other than the previously mentioned Ferdinand Vandeveer Hayden. So you see ties to the same people already. Right. And again, the things that jump out. First of all, this guy's rich. He, he's taking these positions. He's not even getting paid. Secondarily, I looked up his supposed biography. If this is even a real person, I couldn't tell you. Um, and there's the first things it tells you is he had no training. But here's where we really start to get into some tells in the history we're being handed that we're supposed to accept. First of all, during the American Civil War, and by the way, just to be clear, I have real problems with the idea of the American Civil War, but 
if we're to take history at face value, uh, the history on this man, the biography we're being told, is that this dude during the American Civil War took off and traveled through Europe from 1863 through 1864, taking the opportunity to visit the most esteemed museums and societies at the time. It gets better. Upon returning to Philadelphia in 1864, the Cope family made every effort to secure Edward a teaching post. Listen to how that's worded. Let me reword it for you. The rich Cope family used their influence and richness to get Edward a teaching post as the professor of zoology at Haverford College. <clears throat> Here's a man with no training, and yet now he's a professor of zoology, and he's also in a position to push the dinosaur hoax. So there it is, man. Back to you, Jason. And the other person involved with this is Othniel Charles Marsh. He was an American paleontologist born into a very average family and was only able to receive a higher education from Yale College due to a wealthy uncle named George Peabody. After graduating, Marsh also did a lot of traveling to conduct his research. He was considered one of the preeminent scientists in his field at the time. He is said to have discovered and described dozens of new species and proposed new theories on the origins of birds. Well, here we go again, man. He was the nephew of a very wealthy banker and philanthropist named George Peabody. Go look him up, folks, if you want to know something about Peabody. He's a banker. He's the same people who are behind almost everything we cover, the people who had obscene wealth. But what jumps out at me about this guy is he ends up having to do so much with birds. And we have fraudsters like Jack Horner around today trying to convince people that T-Rex turned into a rooster. I'm not even kidding. Um, T-Rex is now a chicken, guys. And we have all these fraud fossils coming out of China, which are supposed to show the first dinosaur that's no longer totally a lizard, now it's got feathers, they've all been shown to be fraud. As a matter of fact, it looks like this idea has been nearly shot down, although there are people still out there trying to push the idea of evolution of dinosaur into birds. It's wholesale nonsense, but here we have a guy who ends up having so much to do with theories on the origin of birds and basically becoming an expert at birds and their history. Um, go ahead, Jason. So what I'm taking away from that is T-Rexes tasted like chicken? Exactly. We know they did. You know, um, these cavemen that never existed uh, had fires in their caves and they were roasting T-Rex because clearly they lived together and it tastes exactly like chicken. They probably invented shake and bake. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. The two rivals are said to have used underhanded methods to try to outdo the other with accusations of bribery, theft and the destruction of bones being cited. Both of them use their wealth and influence to finance expeditions and to obtain services in dinosaur bones from fossil hunters. Their search is said to have led them to rich bone deposits in the states of Colorado, Nebraska, and Wyoming. It is said that by the end of the Bone Wars, both men had exhausted their financial resources in the pursuit of paleontological predominance. It is said that their efforts led to numerous new dinosaur species being discovered and sparked a public interest in dinosaurs. Because it was in a lot of the papers, their, their shenanigans... Uh, was basically major gossip of the time. Yeah, I, I mean, we got to call flower genitals, man. This is poppycock. Um, look at where all of a sudden now dinosaurs are being discovered. There's like these little pockets, almost like someone went in and, you know, planted things. But who the heck knows what actually happened in these areas? This goes on and on and on. But the main point that we're going to get to here in a minute is that the only people who seem to ever discover dinosaurs that matter are people that are inside the paleontological community with a vested interest in the dinosaur idea. But one thing that struck me about this particular history is we're told one of these guys was rich from birth and the other guy just happened to have a rich banker uncle. But later on, they're both being referred to as using their wealth and influence. Uh, we will get to the point where we begin to demonstrate that dinosaur bones are big damn money. So big is the money in dinosaur bones that it precludes any average person from participating. Right. Now, although hundreds of claims were made between the two warring sides, today only 32 of them are considered to be valid dinosaurs, individualized. The rest are considered falsifications and very possibly blatant fabrication. Neither ever claimed to find a complete skeleton, which has carried through to today. So that means that all of the work that was presented involved reconstructions and supposition, at best. In fact, to this day, it, I, I looked, 
no 100% completely intact skeletons ever been claimed to be found. They, the, the closest I found was near complete. Right. And since I am who I am, I'll go the extra step. No dinosaur skeleton has ever been found anywhere because there are no dinosaurs. And some of the things that struck me here is, you know, they're fat, flat out admitting that they're they're fraudulent. They're making falsifications. They claim to have discovered all these new species and yet only 32, 33, anyone? 33. Come on, give me one more. Can we get a 33 in here? Only 32 of them are accepted as supposed real dinosaurs. And uh, you can't get away from the two first guys who get into the supposed born bone war are up to fraud, fabrication, falsification. And that's documented by the history we're expected to swallow. And again, 32. Can anyone just give me one more dinosaur so we can say 33 here, please? Anyhow, back to you, Jason. <laughs> and you brought this up earlier, this next point. Uh, it's that dinosaur fossil discoveries are normally not found by anyone without some sort of vested interest in making the discovery in the first place. So a lot of uh, finds occur in special areas set aside with the specific designation as being a dinosaur park, which often requires a dinosaur hunting license. It seems odd that a great number of fossils are often found in very tiny areas as opposed to being spread out. And I have a whole, several people here with the claims, and it just it just sounds ludicrous. Like, if these dinosaurs existed, I don't think they all would have laid down and died in the same spot. You'd be finding them in just random locations all over the place, I would speculate. Well, it's funny. You know, it's called a dinosaur park. The first thing that comes to mind is a theme park. Anyone who's been to the United States through the Southwest has seen these roadside attractions where there's these giant cement dinosaurs where people pull in to get gas and eat and stuff. Um, it's got nonsense all over it if you take a careful look at how a reality-based world actually functions. Um, and that really sets aside, you know, all the things that we're talking about, that there's never been an intact uh, dinosaur skeleton found, which tells you flat out that some artist somewhere is making up all the colors, the shape, and everything else. But we'll get to that a bit later. Um, one of the main things that I'd like, well, you know what, Jason, I'll hold off on that. Um, and you did mention the hunting license, but um, go ahead and push through a little further. Okay, so here's several points of people making discoveries. In one of the largest dinosaur excavation sites called the Ruth Mason Quarry, over 2,000 fossils were allegedly discovered. Casts and original skeletons assembled from these bones are currently on display in over 60 different museums all over the world. Next, we have Florentino Amagino, who is head of paleontology at the La Plata Museum, is responsible for 6,000 fossil species supposedly discovered throughout his career, and all of them came from Argentina. Next up, we have dinosaur hunter Earl Douglas, who sent 350 tons of excav excavated dinosaur bones to the Carnegie Museum of Natural History throughout his career, all coming from the Dinosaur National Monument in Utah. And anybody familiar with the name Carne Carnegie? I think I think I think we uh, have something yeah. to say about those kinds of people. Yeah, there's no getting away from it. Every time we begin to dig in any of these big foundational cultural scientific ideas, we find Rockefellers, we find Rothschilds, we find Carnegies. What's basically going on here? is people with a lot of money are driving what the world believes. It has nothing to do with what a scientist would want to discover and get into a textbook somewhere. Um, it, the things that we end up believing in are almost wholly driven by these early people, apparently around the 1800s, maybe 1700s, that we can identify with any you know, that we can buy into to any degree are the actual people who have set the course on so many of these things um, from the idea of nuclear weapons, from the idea of satellites. Both of those got coming from sci fi writers, all backed or all related to the banksters. And here we find the banksters owning museums where these fake skeletons are being displayed or funding the actual you know, going out to get these ideas put together in one way, shape, or form or another. But anyhow, back over to you. Next, we have, during an expedition to Patagonia, Dr. Louis Chiop and Dr. Lowell Dingus supposedly discovered thousands of dinosaur eggs at a site of only a few hundred square yards. Many experts have mentioned how such finds of huge quantities of fossils in one area by just a few highly invested individuals goes against the laws of natural probability and really lends credence to the likelihood of forgeries or concentrated planting efforts, or maybe they're just plain bullshitting. Well, let's let's take this nonsense apart. 
Okay, everybody listening, if I go up to my refrigerator and I get a dozen fresh chicken eggs and I go out to the desert and I bury them in a very dry place, what's going to happen to those eggs? They're all going to rot, right? How in the hell could you possibly ever have an egg fossilized fossilized in the way that we're told that things get fossilized? It's not possible. The inside of that thing would rot out. Um, It's just it it stretches our imagination so thin from the things we can observe in the real world that I don't even know what to say. And there are plenty of people who have called to account the idea that so much of the supposed dinosaur paraphernalia is always coming from these very compact, controlled areas and always found by people with a vested interest in the paleontological idea of dinosaurs. Haddonfield, New Jersey, the skeleton of Hadrosaurus fulci was put on display at the Academy of Natural Sciences, which was at that point located at Broad and Sampson Streets in Philadelphia. No skull was ever discovered, and no original bones were ever put out on any public exhibits. The display was said to have originally intended to help get public interest up in the natural sciences. It turns out that it was an overwhelming success, so much so that the museum began charging a fee and making a very good profit. The descriptions are that the museum was being overwhelmed to the point that they started a fundraiser to build a bigger museum. So within the next few years, multiple copies of this skeleton would be made and shown in other museums around the world. Now, this sets up the stage for numerous huge profit-making museums to spring up over the years that we, we see everywhere today with dinosaur, dinosaur skeletons being a huge industry of its own. And that that is exactly what we see. And, and so there it is, man. These basically genius people who make up so much of the nonsense of this world set out to do at least the three things I outlined earlier, and now they have it into a business model where it's actually going to drive itself because now it makes money, which means every museum everywhere has a vested interest in getting a dino skeleton in their museum because that equates to tickets at the door. Um, Here it is, man. And again, none of these are dinosaur bones. They're all replicas. They're all fiberglass. They're all plastine of some sort. Um, It begs the scrutiny of every listener to begin to concentrate on what we're pointing out here, man. Um, Go ahead, man. Now, I looked, and I looked at a lot of stuff. It's never discussed by any museum that any of the skeletons that you're going, you're paying to see, none of them anywhere are real bones. None of them. They're all recreations based upon assumption. Because, and I'm going to reiterate this, no fully complete dinosaur skeleton has ever been found. All museum displays are recreations only, with the original specimens, whatever they may have actually been, kept locked away from public view because people have tried to get in to see them and they're told no. So let's take this apart for a minute. That means every movie you have ever seen that displays a dinosaur, every National Geographic, every picture, every sketch, every illustration, every piece of artwork you have ever seen in your life to play, you know, depicting a dinosaur, the colors were made up by an artist. The shape uh, with all the skin and supposed muscle and how it stood was all made up by an artist. Not only that, there's no skulls. So every dino skull that you've ever seen, apparently, is made up again by an artist's rendering. Um, It's fantasy. By definition, it is fantasy. I don't know what else to say about it, man. There it is. And that directly reminds me to, you know, the whole NASA artist rendition stuff, you know. Exactly. let's, Let's just keep this whole notion going, you know. That was going to echo off the NASA idea, but it's like they have a playbook. We see the same thing over and over and over where people are just suckered into pretty pictures, pretty video, and, you know, assuming that they're being told the truth, you know. And I'm here to tell you, we live in an age where the the, the time to assume you're being told the truth is gone. It's a bit like going to buy a car, having the person sell you the car, tell you it's the best car ever, you accepting his word for it, giving him a few thousand bucks and drive away to find out he didn't tell you the truth. That's what's going on here. But anyhow, sorry for stepping on you. Well, the the, the picture thing I mean, what's the old saying? A picture is worth a thousand words, right? So even if they're showing you a an artist's rendition, it's still going to have a much greater effect on the mind than just reading a piece of text. So we can see why they do this over and over again. Right. But I mean, it has kind of an insidious 
effect on the human mind because like if you the other day they were playing uh the first jurassic park and when they first show the dinosaurs there's like i don't know what dinosaur it is it looks like a brontosaurus but i'm sure it's something else if i remember correctly um the sheer size of something like that i think they even pumped up the sizes a bit for the movies if i remember back but logically take apart is it possible for an animal of that size to get enough nutrients into its body to exist. Um, you're being told they're cold-blooded, and then at some time they're trying to switch it over to, oh, they're warm-blooded. But my point is, look at a cow. A cow is you know, a, a cow is like a church mouse compared to these dinosaurs, and a cow needs four stomach and has to eat basically all day to get enough nutrients in. And not only that, how in the hell would the rib cage keep the stomach from basically falling out of the bottom of its body. How would those leg bones stand up to those pressures? I mentioned earlier there were engineers that have gone at this and said there's no way in hell that the bones would just crumble under the weight of what we're being presented with. But anyhow, I kind of feel like I tracked you off a bit there, Jason. That's all right. The next thing I want to throw out here, though, and for everyone really to consider, are just some cold, hard numbers. It is admitted, and I looked, the, I double-checked these numbers, that only 2,100 dinosaur skeletons have been found today, what's, what's called dinosaur skeletons anyway. There are only 15 Tyrannosaurus rex skeletons, and none of them are complete. There also have never been any evidence of every, any dinosaurs ever having feathers. That was a newer concept, even though scientists compare them to birds on a regular basis. And I, I think that was just the next attempt to kind of tack evolution together with, with uh, you know, more BS. I, that on its own really begins to show, you know, you have people like Jack Horner, the, the one of the main faces of Dinosaurs Are Real that Americans see on TV, um, Joker Horner, I guess we should call him. And he's really pushing this idea that, you know, these vicious dinosaurs became chickens, basically tying the alchemical idea of mercury into it. When you begin to, oh, and I wanted to mention, uh, only 21 2,100 admitted skeletons. Well, that encodes blackjack, 21. Um, when we begin to look at the fact that there are no skulls, that there are no complete skeletons, and that no independent party ever gets to examine what's called a real dinosaur bone, um, name another industry in this world where that would fly. You know, it's a bit like comparing the Catholic Church to Walmart. We're told the Catholic Church has all these problems with priests messing with kids, a pedophilia problem. And yet they've gone on and on and on and on. So it tells you something about the power of the Vatican. Um, if Walmart had these things occur, would Walmart still be in business or would the public outcry have shut down Walmart long ago if on aisle six there was a little boy being buggered, you know, so many times a year? You can compare and contrast a reality-based existence, and what we find is these organizations do not fit the mold. Um, anyhow, that was a labored point. Go ahead, Jason. No, but everything you just said is just so dead-on accurate. So dinosaur bones sell for a lot of money. Keeping this imagery alive and kicking is an industry all to itself, with a self-sustaining group of enthusiasts entering into the field of study and promotion every year. And lots of different factors have, have contributed and continue to contribute to the meme. Right. And, you know, what are you looking at here? You're looking at a way to keep only rich insiders in, in the highest levels of the game. Um, and, and I guess I should take a minute to state I have found fossils where I am in Rhode Island. Occasionally on beaches, there are like these shale rocks that when we were kids, we used to take a pocket knife with us and peel the shale apart. And we would occasionally find fern fossils and when we say fossil, that's not really what we found. We found an impression. At another time in my life, we found what we think was a trilobite or part of what looked like what they call a trilobite. It wasn't complete. But again, people have the wrong idea. It was the impression of some tiny animal. Um, so I know a lot of people are going to say, wait a minute, I know fossils are real. I found them. But there is a big difference between finding a leaf a small sea creature, a shelled animal from the ocean, and something the size of five school buses. I, I would just take a minute to point out. But we're coming close to the top of the hour, but I want you to get in, Jason, uh, one of the main purveyors that we were able to dig up uh, that are making the fake dino skeletons to order. 
Yeah, because apparently making fake dinosaur skeletons is a very lucrative business. Huge money. And one of the largest, yeah, large, and this is completely admitted, this isn't obfuscated in any way, shape, or form. I found it in two seconds when I looked. One of the largest and most renowned suppliers of fake dinosaurs is the Zigong Dino Ocean Art Company in Sichuan, China. It sells to museums all over the world, and the company states that 62-plus percent of its export goes to American European markets. And these things are made from other critter bones ground up and with glue and all that sorts of things so that it literally looks like real bones because it's made from real bone. Right. And there, there's no getting away from it. Why is 62% of its uh, market share going to America and Europe? Because that's where the money is, you know, plain and simple. But you have a flat out admission here of a complete industry in China making fake dinosaur bones out of bones from other animals, um, you can begin to draw your little lines from one to two to three to four to five to six. But before we break for the top of the hour, you know, I don't know how many years it was ago when they started to push the idea that some of the best dinosaur hunting now was in the Gobi Desert. And I remember watching at the time because I was still under the spell of dinosaurs. It's quite some time ago. I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe. I don't remember. Um, and they show these expeditions going to places where no average human is ever going to be able to get to. They're showing them with these Range Rovers and all these other supplies and you know air backup and all these things to get out, supposed in the Gobi Desert, a place where hardly anyone could ever go if they wanted to. And they're finding all these amazing dinosaurs. And this is, of course, China doing this. And this was around the time, I believe, I don't know if I've got the timeline right. When this, uh, do you remember the name of the little feathered dinosaur, Archaeopteryx? Was that Archaeopteryx. it? Archaeopteryx. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was the supposed time when Jack Horner's wet dream was about to become true because China was producing the first feathered dinosaur that flew, um, which was shown to be wholesale fraud. Um, anyhow, Jason, we are at the top of the hour. Is there anything you'd like to add before we, uh, before we take the break? Well, hour two, we're going to get into just the insanity of what John D. Rockefeller managed to pull off in the 1800s and why having dinosaurs being in the public mindset works massively to Big Oil's advantage in a very, very large way. And that concept is still in the public image today. So join us there and we're going to break this down and show you just how much chicanery was going on all the way back to the 1800s. Right. And as a spoiler for the second hour, um, I invite everyone out there who's listened to this all the way to the end and didn't walk away rolling your eyes and is an open minded person who may go challenge whether or not dinosaurs are real. Go look up a now defunct gas brand called Sinclair. Go look up the logo for Sinclair oil or Sinclair gas, and you will understand why we are going to push more heavily into tying dinosaurs into the people who basically owned all oil through the standard oil company, um, basically John D. Rockefeller. But again, in the second hour, uh, 1911 is going to come up over and over and over again. And oh, 1911, let me count the ways. 911, uh, it's everywhere in the chicanery that we expose. But anyhow, that brings us to the top of the first hour of Crow 777 Radio Podcast, episode 54, taking apart the illusion that dinosaurs ever existed. We hope to see you for part two over at Crow777radio.com. It is available there for members, and it's a heck of a show, man. And these are paradigm-shifting shows, if you will take the time to challenge what we are saying, to poke holes in what you have been told, you will walk away an adult that has shed some fantasy. Anyway, there it is, man. Cheers. 